Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, welcome in, Buckeye Nation, to Langer at Holy Land's Instant Recap Podcast, where we have to talk about the Bruin quarterback controversy because Quinn Ewers Ewers uh, looked great handing off uh, the ball. Nothing else happened today except Quinn Ewers took a couple of snaps. So we're going to spend an hour talking about that. How does that sound, Chris? That sounds good to me. I, I think this is really kind of what the fans have been pining for since uh, we started podcasting. Uh, so. I think it's time to just get into the nitty-gritty on why uh, Quinn Ewers should be taking the next snaps as we approach the big one. Yeah, I mean, everything that I saw, he, he went out there, he stood in the right place, he he clapped, caught the ball, and handed it off. It was perfect. The execution was perfect. Uh, I've never seen a quarterback hand the ball off so well. Uh, I think it's his job. It was elegant, honestly. Uh, I'm a little disappointed they put him in over Jagger. Uh, I think you got to give the senior the love there. Uh, I don't know what Quinn gained from it besides like getting some love from the fans, but uh, I think it was a fun experience. And I, 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 I can't even begin to start talking about what led us to that experience. Yeah, yeah, it's just what a game. So let's let's do this before because I always forget. Um, first of all, I'm your host, Jordan, and I, as always, I'm with my co-host, Chris. Uh, and today, we are talking about Buckeyes versus Spartans. Ohio State blew the Spartans out of the deep water, as uh, Mel Tucker likes to call it, 56-7 to in a game that wasn't as close as the score suggests. And the score suggests that it wasn't close. Um, honestly, me and Chris were talking about it before we hit record. Um Ryan Day is a nice guy. He he I think he thinks that Mel Tucker's a good guy. He saw the 10 year 95 mil contract and was like, thanks for setting the precedent because I'm gonna blow that out the water because I'm a much better coach than you. Ryan Day's gonna get like a 10 year, two hundred million dollar contract off of that. Uh you know, maybe maybe Day smokes cigars and we don't know it. He wants to to be able to smoke a cigar with Mel Tucker, uh potentially, but he caught off the dogs. This is easily a, a 70, 80 point game. Even with the backups in, if he lets them throw, if he plays Evan Pryor, um, and if he doesn't just run the ball up the middle for like 20 plays in the second half. So, yeah, he uh, he definitely called off the dogs. Uh, Mel Tucker must be a, a real nice guy. Because uh, if it was Michigan, that's a that's a 70 ball for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah, honestly, uh, I, I love the deep water analogy that Mel Tucker uses. And I want to use an analogy of my own because if he's talking about just regular deep water, I think Ohio State took uh, the Spartans to the Mariana Trench, the deepest part of the ocean. And absolutely, you know, when you go down in that darkness, you know, they always show it in movies of scary underwater movies. That's where we were today with Michigan State. And Michigan State had no idea what was going on around them. And it was absolutely a spectacular performance from both sides of the football. I think, I think we talked about this going into the week. Like we wanted to see a complete football game from Ohio State. And I don't think you could get a more complete football game from that. Yeah, no, I mean you really can't. Uh, 
I don't really know where to start. There's a lot that I want to talk about. Most of it has nothing to do with the game. It has to do just do with Stroud for Heisman and Chris Olave being the best wide receiver in Ohio State history. Because really not much to talk about with the actual game. But the one thing we need to talk about for sure, so we might as well start with it, is the defense. Uh, the defense blinked them. Um, that touchdown came against the backups. And some of those were like third stringers because they, they weren't even the typical backups who like – always get snaps and and have some leaves on the helmet. These were like the legitimate backups. I mean, when's the last time we've seen Ryan Watts in a game uh, who gave up the touchdown? I think he has a good career, you know, uh, but we haven't seen him almost all year. So the starting defense blanked Michigan State. Zero points, um, nothing for Kenneth Walker, the third, um, nothing for Peyton Thorne. Nothing for Jaden Reed. I mean, literally, like, anything that you could do, pressure, when they weren't getting pressure. The def- I mean, first of all, let's start with the defensive line. Um, what are your opinions on the defensive line specifically and how they play? Because I have some opinions, but I want to know what you think. Yeah, so I, I told you this, um, and I tweeted this out, but before uh, the game started, I was, like, thinking to myself, like, the defensive line's really going to have to show up to slow down Kenneth Walker. Then the first play of the game, Haskell, or not the first play, but the first series, Haskell Garrett destroys the guard in front of him and tackles Kenneth Walker in the backfield. That set the tone for the entire day. And I was looking at the stats. I was absolutely shocked to see that Ohio State only had two sacks, but then I kept looking a little deeper. They had 11 tackles for loss. So they were always in the backfield. They were always wreaking havoc. Uh, They were getting past breakups, past deflections, but... When you look at great defenses and championship-level defenses, it always starts with the front four, and then everything else is built on top of that. And, you know, we go back and forth about them not having, like, a truly special elite player. But they have, when they're playing at their best, four guys who start that are insanely good. And they have six or seven or eight guys that get in the game that are all very respectable players that can do some damage in their own right. So... This was a performance we needed from that position group, especially going into next week and especially down the home stretch to see that they are capable of absolutely shutting down an opposing team. Yeah, uh, for sure, especially a team with a good offense. Um, I do want to highlight something. As you all, I think, are starting to realize, when I talk really negatively on someone, when they do something well, I like to you know big up them because I don't talk negatively on people because I don't like them or anything like that. I just try to be honest to how they're playing. Um, guess who tied for the league lead, the the game lead in tackles? It's either Tommy Eichenberg or Bryson Shaw. Yeah, it's Tommy Eichenberg. Uh, he had seven tackles, uh, a half a tackle for a loss, and a pass breakup. And, I mean, he really played well. And the thing is, like, that's important. Right? Ronnie Hickman only had um, – three tackles and first of all he only had three tackles because a bunch of people made plays like there was no dominant but Ronnie Hickman uh and I've been saying this all year we said this before the season started you never want a safety to be a leading tackler and sure Ronnie Hickman plays in the box and some stuff like that but your leading tackler should always be a linebacker because they're they're the ones who should really be stopping all of the run game stuff and people run the ball a lot and then they should be getting out on like screens and that kind of stuff um, not saying that Tommy Eichenberger is a linebacker of the future because that's still Chambers, but traditionally your leading tackle is also your middle linebacker. Um, and so for him to have this type of game and a run centric uh, game is kind of really important, especially because it was run centric in the beginning. And I was looking at it and I was like, man, Tommy's getting a lot of snaps early, but it makes sense. He's there. Well, I use best relatively because he hasn't played well, but he's their best in the box linebacker or should be their best in the box linebacker because he's the one with the traditional size to be able to take on guards and double teams and stuff in the middle. And he's young. He hasn't he hasn't been doing that this season, but he's progressively been getting better. Um I don't know that he's gonna start next year when we have CJ Hicks, Steel Chambers, um, maybe uh uh, Pilot Yo comes back because, I mean, he's been really injured and maybe he wants to come back and, and, and some stuff like that. But Tommy at least has played well enough recently that I don't see him as a liability. And I think 
that gives me confidence for next week because he's going to have to play the same role next week because Michigan runs the ball. Um, so I just wanted to give some credit to Tommy E. And the defensive line obviously made that a lot easier for him yeah, uh, because they were all over the place. But we've seen him miss tackles. We've seen him just entirely not be in the, wrong, in the right gap. The run goes left, he goes right, and, and some other things like that. So I just, you know, just want to give a little credit where credit to do. He played well. Yeah, it's crazy because with Tommy, it, it was one of those games where, you know, coaches talk up players all the time. And, like, they obviously see a lot more than we see. And I think this was a game where we finally got to see what the coaches saw in Tommy Eichenberg in the offseason. That kind of led him to be uh, in the starting rotation. And, you know, him and Bryson Shaw and the more guys, the guys who have been getting a lot of the flack when things aren't going as well, stepped up and had a really big game this week. And, you know, I think it was funny on the show we joked, like, does Michigan State have a defensive player that would start on Ohio State? Today, the answer is obviously no. And no. you said 17-35. I'm like, no, they'd still play. They'd still start at Michigan State. And I think it was it was one of those big, big days for those guys where they're like, you know, we can play at this level and prove it kind of to the fans. And it all, it all started. It was just one of those days where the unit was cohesive, front to back, you know, I mean, 11 pass breakups combined. That's ridiculous. Like all um, position groups bringing up 11 passes. That's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, number 17 may not start at Michigan State because none of the safeties, including him, are good at defending the pass, but their safeties were really good at open field tackles, and he's not. Uh, if, if number 17 was back there um, – Travion would have broken one for a touchdown. There were a couple of plays where I'm like, yep, he's gone. And then the safety comes out of nowhere. Like, that's uh, safety, that's really the only thing that they did good today. Uh, they, I won't say they bottled him because he had 63 yards on nine carries. Um, but, like, they didn't let him go off for a big game because they, I mean, man, they just really, really good open field tackles. So, 17 may not, may not have started for them. But he would be in the rotation. I'll give you that. Yeah. Maybe the second or third safety. Um, speaking they need of, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to come back to the defense, but just because I brought it up, I do want to ask. Um, nine carries for Travion Henderson. There was some, some you know, last couple of games, there's been some raps on uh, his knees, stuff like that. What do you think it means that he's always the first person taken out? He's all like if the, if the game is out of hand, you are not seeing Travion Henderson no more. Uh, that's that happened today. Uh, there was a very heavy dose of Mayan, and then lastly, Master T. What do you think it means? Is it is it you know is he a little dinged up and they want to protect him? Is it because he's so good and you, you know they think running back is an easy position to get injured? I just think it's interesting that as soon as the game gets nearly out of hand, Trey is done. Yeah, it's interesting, and I, I really think it's more just a pr- preservation. You know, I think we have to remember he didn't play football his senior year of high school last year. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, we can make all the, like, jokes about the SEC, like, claiming all this stuff, but the Big Ten is an extremely physical game, uh, like, brand of football. That's what it's based on. That's what Midwest football is all about, physicality. And, you know, that's got to wear on an 18, 19-year-old kid who was getting hammered, you know, like with the football. Like he had 25, 30 carry games the last couple. And then, you know, it's good that they were able to kind of get him that rest. You know, Williams is healthy. You know, it was senior night. So T got a lot of love in the second half, 21 carries for him. You know, I, I think it's just kind of uh, some load management more so. And, you know, he probably is banged up. I mean, he's a freshman in a very physical division in football. And if you can really limit him against a team like Michigan State uh, after he had those battles against Penn State and Purdue, it's definitely an opportunity you want to take going into the rivalry next week, the Big Ten Championship, and so on and so forth if you want to win a championship. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I just think it's interesting that, like, Ryan Day is like, yeah, we're up 49 to nothing. We're going to give Stroud two series. But then at the same time, he's like, oh, we're up uh, 28 to nothing. Sit down, Trey. Um, I just think it's interesting because you would think that they're more protective of um, 
they're more protective of the quarterback and also they're both freshmen so like there's the value of both of them still seeing extra snaps and stuff sometimes where like you know they took out Alave and Wilson and Kep and JSN so there were some things with keeping even if they were starters keeping some of the younger guys in just a little bit longer but Henderson is always the first one out so I, I think you're right I think it's a respect thing uh, realizing how important he is to the team I think it's a I think you made a really really good point about he didn't play football so it is some sort of load managing. Um, you don't want to give him three, four hundred snaps when he hasn't played in two years, and then three, four hundred snaps in the Big Ten. Um, he's from Virginia. That's not super south, but it's further south than Ohio. So he's getting used to the cold and getting hit in the cold and all that other kind of stuff. So I think that uh, those are all really good points. But I mean, there's really not too too much more to talk about with this game. I. I'm very, very impressed by the defense. Um, yeah. Very, very impressed by Denzel Burke, uh, the way he fought. I don't know if Michigan State was just super confident or if they saw something on film, but it seemed like they were targeting Denzel Burke early. Um, and the one catch that he gave up was literally had to be a perfectly thrown back shoulder ball. And the other one, you can argue with it. It was either a fumble or an incomplete pass, but either way, it was a big play uh, because he did that from underneath the wide receiver and it stopped a first down and it got Ohio State off the field. Um, and realistically, because they missed the field goal, them calling it an incomplete pass helped Ohio State because they got better field position than they would have with the fumble. But fumble, incomplete pass, either way, it was a great play by Burke. Um, and then he made another great play and just tweaked his shoulder, got a little stinger um, when he came around and knocked the ball out from a, uh, out from the wide receiver. He had two of the 11 pass breakups. So, um, yeah, Burke has continued to shine, I would say. Yeah, he had a good game. I, I think uh, it was interesting because it didn't feel like outside of Burke that a lot of guys got challenged. You know, Cameron Brown should have had another interception this week. That's two yeah. weeks in a row. Uh, the funniest tweet of the day was when whoever was running the land grant Twitter was like, we love you, Cam, but you lied to us because he said he was going to go get on the jugs after the game last weekend. Yeah, he did not, but that's okay. He was in the place. Uh, Do you remember, uh, sorry, you remember um, NCAA 14, anytime you dropped the interception and they're like, and he said he wants to play wide receiver. Uh, yeah. but we, we see why he's playing defense. That's the first thing that that I thought of. It's it's funny that that game had such an impact that I remember that. They just said it all the time. They said that's it so first, much. That's just the first thing that I thought of. And, and he was telling us in interviews that he wanted to play wide receiver. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Cam, you know, you got to catch that one. That went right yeah. through your hands. Yeah, and then uh, I, I think if we're going to poke fun at it, some guys, like Mitch Rossi got the ball in space. It got really blessed that the ball popped out and went out of bounds immediately. Yeah. Uh, we had some we had some senior love go a little bit south today, but like that's what it's all about on senior night, especially when the game's in hand. You never want to kind of have like, – you usually kind of hope your senior night's scheduled against a team where you know you're going to beat. And then when it's scheduled against a team that's ranked seventh in the country, you're like, all right, well, we just got to get the seniors out with a win. But this was different. This was – they came out with a purpose. They said, hey, this is our last time in the shoe. We're going to let the whole world know that this isn't our last game and this season's not ending soon. Yeah, 100%. And I, I just think it's – I just want to keep giving Ryan Day credit because we've said it all year. Ryan Day – until he shows it, we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He has never once not had his team ready for a game, especially a big game, even games that they lose. And he doesn't lose Austin, but even the Clemson game, he had a really good game plan. And it took, a, a like we talked about when we were uh, about to cry over Alave, it took the defense just giving up the, the heart of the field for like a 60-yard run and Alave breaking off a route, breaking off a route for them to lose that game. Um, you could argue maybe he didn't have them ready to play against Bama, but I think that was uh, – people forget that there was a bunch of injuries, some COVID. A lot of cases. COVID. Trey Sermon went out the first game, and he just didn't do anything. Like I, He didn't look at the defensive game plan, but especially offensively, typically at the team's hype, they're ready to go. And this was another one. Like, you know, people were saying, like, because you have to talk about it, 
And so people were saying like, oh, are they going to overlook them? Are they going to be looking towards Michigan? Are they going to be looking towards other things? And it's like, no, not under Ryan Day. This game is too big. They're number seven in the country. Um, they're, you need to beat them. Because they've already beaten Michigan, you need to beat them to win the Big Ten. You lose this game, they win the Big Ten East, um, no matter what happens against Penn State because they've beaten those, uh, you know, two of the four teams in, con- uh, in contention. Um, I mean, yeah. So Ryan Day had his guys ready and everything they said in the school section session, everything that they said in interviews um, from from the first moment of the game, uh, they were ready to go. Yeah, it, it was one of those games where, you know, you kind of saw that first drive get started with uh, Julian Fleming back to return the kick. He, he didn't even catch the ball. He lost it in the sun. Then they get a false start penalty on the first play, and you're like, oh, well, this is this is not great. But when you get those two mistakes out of the way and they go 86 yards or however many yards it was and score a touchdown immediately, uh, I, I gained a lot of confidence that Ryan Day was not messing around. And then the fact that C.J. Stroud went 9 for 10 on the first series for like 75 yards and a touchdown, uh, yeah, they were looking at that 130th pass defense. They're like, you guys are going to stop us or you guys are going to get thrown all over the yard until you guys do something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to disrespect Ryan Day, but, you know, I think maybe he listens to the show or maybe we're just keyed in. Maybe we're, maybe we're just good coaches uh, because to some of the keys that we talked about was it's senior night, feed Alave, and they did that um, they did early that. and often. Uh, and the other one that I had brought up was don't get greedy. And, you know, the pass defense is bad. But they took well-timed shots. They didn't just throw it deep for the sake of throwing deep. And that really showed on that first drive where everything was like five to seven yards. And they just yeah. they just took what was there, just took what was there, just took what was there. And then that started the running game, the short passes. It started opening up, and they took well-timed uh, deep shots and connected on maybe all of them. Felt like it. Uh, well, yeah, because they only had three incompletions, and well, yeah. So, and they were all two of them were throwaways, and one of them was one a of them communication was... with the wide. Yeah, team. it was. It was crazy because at one point when the game was going on, it felt like you know they got Chris Olave that early touchdown, just so they can get him that opportunity to catch that deep post route going into the student section. Yeah, and that just made the moment so legendary. And I, I'm going to give – this is like – this is a little off topic from that. I think we got to talk about Olave more. But the fans stayed almost the entirety of the football game. They did. And the, and the student section said, we're going to black out the student section after the rumors. Like they said, we might not be wearing black, but we're going to black out the student section. And they had a panned out view of it. And I saw it, and I'm like, holy crap. You know, that's pretty sick. They got that. They, they blacked it out. There was a lot of people wearing black stuff. And it's funny because that took five days to plan. It took a month to get everyone to wear Scarlet. <laughs> but overall, like that just made this moment so epic because you could see, you know, Olave's first touchdown in the shoe was in that end zone. Uh, his last touchdown in, in the shoe, I believe that was the last touchdown of the day, um, yeah. was going into the fans. Literally, the post took him to the crowd. Like you couldn't have drawn this up better artistically in a TV show. And it just was one of those moments that felt like that's his whole story. Everything is just like it always worked out perfectly outside. Even like the Clemson thing went to the point where he redeemed himself. So his whole career is storybook. It's unbelievable. And I just think it's like one of those things like he's going to be missed. Uh, 100%. And we said it before because we if you've been listening with us throughout the summer, we did our tears. Um we have a couple, like one game left. And so we uh, eventually are going to have to start thinking of off season content. And I don't know how we're going to top that because we're obviously not going to do it again. Um, but we both had Alave as our number one. And I think he just solidified it. He's the best well, player be in Buckeye history. And I don't, I don't care about talent and that kind of stuff. Cause he's not the most talented wide receiver on the team right now, but he's the best wide receiver. And, 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 Buckeye history and he's shown that all throughout his career he's continuing to show it now and I just like that they kind of you know force fed him a little bit and was like no this is this is going to be your game and you really don't have to force feed him because he's going to be open but like yeah there you could tell they were like 
this play is for like don't this is not a full field read this play is for Alave and every deep shot that they took because it really wasn't that many but every deep shot that they took was to Alave for the most part yeah and they had that really nice one to Garrett Wilson but even like that touchdown wasn't his best play of the day it was that touchdown where uh Stroud threw the fade or not the touchdown the one right at the one yard line and Stroud threw the fade ball and that was incredible yeah, and that's a touchdown if it wasn't for the pressure. That was like one of three times uh, Michigan State got pressure and Stroud just threw it up. And if obviously, you know, if, if there's no pressure, he puts that a little bit more inside and that's a touchdown. But he he trusted Alave and Alave made a catch that like 1% of wide receivers are making. Yeah, the flexibility, the ball tracking, the ability to get the feet down. And he stayed on his feet, which was, like, the incredible part. Yeah, it was all incredible. He's – I mean, I once again, 300-yard receivers in the game. And and this time I saw the thing. Uh, this is the first time they did it where all three had a touchdown too, which That's makes wild. it even more, like, special. Uh, and they got, they got uh, Julian Fleming on the board with a touchdown, his first of his career. Uh, that was pretty nice. That was just easy. They're like, hey, Julian, you want a touchdown? Here you go. That was well-deserved. I really like him. Uh, a lot of people know that. I, yeah. I really appreciate it's uh, funny. that he's uh, stuck with it. He's been He's been through a lot. And there are some fans that question if he's good and stuff like that. Because he's good. They expected him to play, and it's like he's good. He was dealing with the shoulder injury from high school, and Alave came. He would, I believe, if well, maybe not because I think he was injured a little bit. But if Alave wouldn't have came back, he would be a starting wide receiver. He was yeah. hurt a little bit with Alave coming back and the shoulder injury and stuff like that. But he's good, without doubt. The thing is, like I, I jokingly tweeted out, um, Julian Fleming has the two best catches of the year that won't count as catches. Because he jumped like 40 inches off the ground to snag that one ball out of the air that Kyle McCord threw to him. And that one, uh, what was it, two or three games ago uh, when he caught the ball on the sideline and they yeah. said it wasn't a catch. It was a catch. So Both he had them. the two two best like catches that haven't counted on the season. Yeah, both of those were catches. And if this game wasn't a blowout, if this was a close game, they would have reviewed that and gave it to him. But when, it's, when the game is out of hand, you just yeah. – let it go. That was like them having a little bit of a mercy rule. Yeah, it's just like you know what, just we're not going to review it. We're not going to challenge it. Um, just we're just going to let it go. So before we just continue, just talking about whatever, because there's really nothing to talk about with the game. I do want to get to to some of the stats because they're just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Stroud was thirty two of thirty five for four hundred thirty two yards and six touchdowns. Um, Alave nine for 63, so seven yards of carry. And then you got the rest, as we talked about, um, Alave seven for 140, two touchdowns, Wilson seven for 126, two touchdowns, JSN 10 for 105 and a touchdown. Um, if this game was close, Wilson would have, uh, hit a thousand yards this game. He came in, I, I tweeted it. I think he came in needing 187 yards. And he got 126. If he would have played at all yeah. in the third quarter, he would have gotten that. That would have been a 200-yard day. And Alave always has a big game against Michigan. So, realistically, uh, Wilson needs 50 or 60-something yards. Alave needs, like, 120-ish. There's a good chance both of them hit 1K against Michigan. Yeah. I think Alave needs, like, 140. And I think you're right where, like, Jack or Garrett Wilson only needs, like, 60. Yeah, and I I should have tallied it up, and I I looked at it. I just didn't write it down. I didn't know if I was going to bring it up, but yeah, they're it's both very realistic that they'll reach a thousand yards. Um, and yeah. if and if Stroud doesn't, I mean, if Alave doesn't, he'll reach it on his first catch against Michigan State against um in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, without a doubt, I I think uh it's incredible, and you know. I love when this is the only good thing about when games are blowouts is ESPN starts having to like fill the content void between snaps and they start looking at this stuff too. Uh, and they're like, yeah, Ohio state's only had a 5,000 yard receivers in history. And as you're seeing those three absolutely dominate, you're like, they're going to increase that by 60% right now. Like that's <laughs> insane. Yeah. If you think about it. And I think Herb street said it best. It's like Ohio state's had, 
a lot of really, really good wide receivers. So it's kind of shocking there's only five, and they're going to have three on one team. I just feel like like I, I need a historian to tell me some of these things because I know to my eye this is the greatest trio of wide receivers anyone has ever seen, but I just need a historian to come out and say no one has ever or one or two teams have ever had three wide receivers with 100-yard games in one season. Uh, no other team or one or two teams have ever had that happen twice in a season. No one's ever had it happen where all three had a touchdown. No one or very few has ever had 3,000-yard wide receivers or 3,000-yard wide receivers and a 1,000-yard running back. Like, I need a historian to, like, put this in perspective nationally so that I can actually yeah. talk about it. Because I know, like, I know it's history and I know we've never seen it and probably won't see it again. But I just need, I just need, I just need the facts so like I can talk about it. This offense needs to go down as the greatest offense of all time. Yeah, and there's only one way to do that at this point. The numbers are there. The talent's there. There's only one thing they have to do to make that the best offense of all time. That's win the rest of their games and be one of the best defenses that's ever been put on a football field. Yeah, because the one thing, the two offenses that people have said are the best offenses, LSU and, and Alabama the last two years, they won a national championship. And Ohio State has been in this thing a lot where they do things that everyone else does, but they don't get the national championship at the end. And I really yeah. hope that's not how this season ends. Uh, this team deserves a national championship. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I think this team uh, is very uh... – Similar to that Alabama team from last year. Uh, you know, they've got Alabama had John Mechie. They had Jalen Waddell. They had Devontae Smith, three very talented receivers in their own right. Uh, Devontae Smith obviously did more work than the other two. But, you know, you look at Mac Jones. He's a very talented game manager. We've seen his game translate to the pros really well. Uh, C.J. Stroud's kind of been in that same vein where his efficiency has just been on another level. And... They didn't have the greatest defense at the start of last year, but when it came time, their defense showed up, and I think that's kind of what we saw in this Michigan State game today is that defense finally just being like, all right, we're not just improved. Like, we can play defense for real. Yeah, we can dominate. And, again, I think putting that in context, doing that after Purdue also. Yeah. And um, I Purdue's a better offensive team, like uh, – because they stick, they have a very defined identity, and no matter what, when you're down 40 points, when you're up 40 points, they are going to throw the football 100 times. Yeah. You know, when Michigan State got down 21-0, to zero, are they going to ride Kenneth Walker and eat a bunch of clock to try to score? That wasn't working, so guess what they try to do? They go away from what works for them, and they throw. So it, it's one of those things where this defense – Played really good against Purdue last week, which is what me and Jordan told you, and they folded it in the second half. This week, they played really good for four quarters because they heard all of you. And next week, they've got their rival looking you in the eye, and they're going to say, hey, this is our moment to prove to the country that this is not just an offensive football team. Yeah, 100%. And I think they do it because it's the same game. Um, and and we talked about it um, it's the same game, but Michigan's worse on offense. They're better on defense. Uh, it's the same game. It's a run-heavy team, but Michigan State's better at running, who does not want to pass, but can pass when they – but is going to have to pass in this game. And Peyton Thorne is the better quarterback. So offensively, at least, the defense really is going to have a similar game plan. And if they play like they did today, it's another blowout. Um, the yeah, offense is going to have different struggles, uh, especially this is this is going to be the game that determines, in my opinion, this is going to be the film, I think, that makes NPF a first round pick or not yeah. a first round pick. If he comes in here and I don't, I don't even want to say dominates, if he comes in here and holds his own. But especially if he dominates, because people are saying Aiden Hutchinson is going to be the second guy taken off the board for defensive ends after Kayvon Thibodeau. If he comes in here and dominates, but especially if he holds his own, maybe only one sack, limited pressures, uh, you know, puts him on the ground, 
this is going to be the one, the film that they look at, because they're going to be looking at the Aiden Hutchinson film, and they're going to be like, who's this guy? He's borderline. I have him in the second round. No, he just died. Oh, this guy's a first-round pick. Yeah. yeah. And and then if he goes into the senior bowl, that's also going to help. I, I think he, he probably needs the senior bowl. He doesn't have the profile. He doesn't have people. the – yeah, he doesn't have that brand recognition with his name that yeah. some of these other stars have. But I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, we saw Nicholas petit Friere shut down George Karloftis yep. in the passing game. So I think that is going to be a pivotal matchup. And again, that's a good point. When they look at George Karloftis' tape, they're going to see him. And Two first-round Top five DNs in the draft. If he if he stops both of them, shuts both of them down. I mean, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a really good. It's gonna be a really important day for him. Uh, firstly, just because you need to stop them if you want to win this game, um, but also for his future, for his his draft stock. Um, I think we've kind of well. So we're gonna we're gonna take a really quick break. Um, but I think we buried the lead a little bit. We haven't really talked enough about Stroud or Alave, but uh, we spent Friday talking a lot about Stroud for Heisman and if it was going to happen in our thoughts. And I, we always talk about the benefits of being back-to-back shows. We have to talk about it. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, talk about Stroud, uh, cry over Alave for a little bit, uh, and then we're going to get you out of here so you can uh, watch the rest of your football uh, viewing. Uh, so with that, we're going to do Call of Duty. There's a lot of a lot of fun stuff this weekend. Yeah, and you're going to be in a good mood because wow, <laughs> <This> you <laughs> was not stressed once this game. <laughs> no. All right. So with that, we're going to go. We're going to play the ads, and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to Land Grant Holy Lands Instant Recap Podcast. As always, I'm your host Jordan, and I'm here with my co-host Christopher Rennie. Um, and we are going to talk Stroud for Heisman. Yeah. Can, can I can I ask you a question before we get into that? I don't yeah. want to jump in. I, I kind of want to close out with the positivity, you know, okay. of our love affair with those two. But this was a conversation I saw on Twitter. Uh, I saw it with the Chris Fowler with Booger McFarland at halftime. Uh, you're looking at Oregon at number three this week, right? Okay. And you you see them playing Utah tonight, win or lose. Uh, do you think Ohio State in this Michigan State game against a top 10 team has warranted that head-to-head not mattering at this point in the race? Yes. Uh, and I said, I said, before, I think I said, I don't know if I said on the podcast or tweeted it or whatever, that this victory was going to be the one where they jumped them. Yeah, because I am going to be honest here. Outside, like they played really well against us, don't get me wrong, but they have not played a single football game that's looked like that this year. No. And and at the end of the day, like, I don't know, like we talk about Bill Landis on here a lot because a lot of times I think the both of us agree with his opinion. I He has the opinion that Oregon dominated Ohio State in that game. And I just disagree with that. They Dang. had one play that worked consistently. Ohio State still put up 28 points, had a chance to win. And CJ CJ Stroud through a stupid freshman interception. I don't feel like Ohio State was dominated, and that yeah. is not going back in time. That's not revisionist history. It was literally Ohio State couldn't stop one play that they immediately had fixed the next week. Um, and that's not to take away from Oregon, but, like, this game we just watched is domination. Like, so I don't know that they won, so the head-to-head should have mattered, but they didn't win, at least in my opinion, in a good enough way that there's no way they couldn't be jumped. And Ohio State, first of all, they're number seven. They trusted them for a reason. They really liked Michigan State. They had them at number seven, even with the loss. That They're not going to fall most likely further than 12. Uh, maybe they're still going to be top 15. This game, in my opinion, is enough. And I really think that they were just waiting for it. They just needed Ohio State to have a top 10 win. Yeah. And I think the point you made about Oregon, like Ohio State had the ball with two minutes left with a chance to win the game when Stroud threw that interception. Like, if that's a blowout of Ohio State, that's a total domination. I, I you know, I'm pretty happy being an Ohio State fan, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's just one of those questions I just wanted to get out there because, you know, the college football playoff rules the world. I think if you're listening to us talk, I think you're going to see Ohio State coming at three next week. 
And I think they should jump Bama. Yeah, I don't think Bama has a win on their calendar year that has looked like this. That game was dominant enough. They've they have there are a lot of Big Ten teams in the rankings. The committee thinks highly of Big Ten teams. They can't revision this history. This I think this game and the Purdue game were good enough back to back ranked wins that they could justify jumping on Alabama. They're not going to do it because even though I said I was going to stop complaining about SEC bias because the Big Ten has bias, especially this season, SEC bias is still a little bit stronger. So. They're not going to jump Alabama until Alabama loses, but in my opinion, they should. Um, and that's not from an Ohio State perspective. That's from you're the number four team in the country. You just blew the doors off the number seven team in the country and dominated them in literally every facet of the game. You held a Heisman Trophy front runner to 25 yards. You should have blanked them except your third string defense was in. Your quarterback had three incomplete passes. That is as dominant as you can get. Um, I think – that they should jump Alabama. Yeah, so I, I'm glad we're on the same page because, like, it, it felt like when I was thinking it to myself, I'm like, this is kind of an aggressive take. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not aggressive at all. Mm. Like, Ohio State, I think, has definitely shown the last two weeks that when they're clicking on all cylinders, they are the second best team in the country, possibly the first best team in the country because the last two weeks, I think Georgia and Ohio State have been. Like, you know, when you do like a reverse mirror image yeah. of each other, that's what they've been. Yeah. And honestly, because, and this pains me to say this because I'm a defensive guy, but offense wins. If you put Georgia and Ohio State on the field right now, and I don't, again, I say this all the time, I don't know how betting works, all that other kind of stuff. But like, if I was educated on that, I think I would have Ohio State as a favorite solely because history recent history shows that good offense beats good defense every time yeah i'd be interested to see the line i'd probably think uh vegas would favor georgia just because of their their dominance recently and they kind of favor the southern schools in those situations just because the last 20 years they have tended to win those games most of the time so yeah. it'd probably be like a minus two and a half minus three and a half but I, I get what a- i get what you're saying though yeah, it's probably going to be a pick em. I'm just saying for me, if I was educated in all of that and I was looking at it and trying to be as unbiased as possible, the, the difference is good offense beats good defense. That's, Every that, time. Is what, that is what history has showed us. Recent history, at least. Good offense beats good defense. Every single time. LSU so, destroyed Clemson. Uh, Alabama, well, they beat us. Uh, you know, and that's kind of been the history. Uh, when they played again, Alabama beat Georgia in the second half because good offense. Yeah, um, so we'll see. We'll uh, we'll definitely see, but at least uh, the up to three, I do think that they should go up to three over Oregon. But also, Oregon may lose today, so it may not matter. So it might not even matter. Yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not convinced that Oregon's going to win. But uh, you know, not many people are. Yeah, well, Utah's a pretty good team. They're a pretty good. Team. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, can, are, are we ready for the love affair now? I think it's time. I, I, it's just I, I'm procrastinating it because there's only going to be so many more more of these with Olave. Yeah. So okay, we if you haven't listened to the Buck Off on Friday, but you listen to this, I want you to listen to it. I want you to listen to it every week, but especially this one. Um, especially if just fast forward if you have to to our CJ Stroud for Heisman conversation. But if you didn't listen to it, essentially what we said is that. C.J. Stroud is not the best player on this team. He's somewhere between four and seven. Um, And we also said that everyone in the Heisman conversation, every single quarterback, every single running back, everyone is having a worse season than previous Heisman players. Um, Whether it's C.J. Stroud or Bryce, whether it's C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, their Heisman's going to look nothing like Johnny Manziel. It's going to look nothing like Lamar Jackson. It's not that type of dominant season that we've come to expect. Uh, It's not going to be Kenneth Walker, but if it was, if he would have had a great game, his season doesn't look like Leonard Fournette's. And um, why do I always forget names when I want to say it? Derrick Henry. Like it just this year is different. Like the no one is dominating. I we talked. I had mentioned that Jonathan Taylor ran for nineteen hundred yards three years in a row and never won the Heisman. I don't even know that he went to the Heisman. So it's just a different year. But at the same time. 
someone has to win it. And so we said that while we don't think CJ Stroud is the best player, um, we don't think he's as dominant or what you would expect. He has a chance in these last couple of games to win the Heisman. And I I believe I straight up said he's going to win it because I said he's going to throw for 500 yards against Michigan State. And they're really going to they're going to view that highly because they're um, bad defense or not. They're going to see number 17 in the country. I think he won the Heisman today. Yeah, no, I was going to say the same thing when we were kind of like talking about this segment. And I was like, if he just has his normal games where he goes for like 350 and like three touchdowns the next two weeks and they win, I don't think there is a single player in the country with a better four or five game stretch than Stroud. And I don't think there's really an argument, you know, kind of having to carry carry your team because we know. And, like, this is a common conversation topic with a lot of people in college football. A lot of Heisman voters don't actually have any real relation to covering football, which is absurd to me. But it is one of those things where you see the name on Ohio State, you see the offensive numbers that teams put up, you see his touchdown-interception ratio, you see all the yards, you see all the big teams he's played, and he's going to have back-to-back primetime games in front of the country. Like, if he plays well, I don't think you can give it to what's his name, Kenny Pickett at Pitt for just being kind of cool. You know, you can't give it to Bryce Young, who's kind of struggled in some big games this year. Uh, it's C.J. Stroud's award, and you know he just outplayed another Heisman candidate. You know, it's as as they can. You know, he's a running right. back, he's a quarterback, but like they played his team won, so that moves him in front. Yeah, and I think the thing that is important to remember. Um, <clears throat> You know, Bryce Young has had a good season for sure. But um, some of the stuff with Bryce Young is it's just that he's the quarter. It, essentially, in my opinion, the Bryce Young thing is there's not a there's not a dominant answer. He's the quarterback at Alabama. Um, if Caleb Williams had started the full year or if uh, Spencer Rattler was actually a good quarterback, then they would probably be the favorite because. Uh, you look at where the Heisman's been, whatever. First, it's Oklahoma quarterbacks recently, so they would have gotten that nod, which is why they were the preseason favorite. And then the next one is Alabama, because Ohio State can't get that nod because they haven't had a Heisman winner in a while. But eventually, being the quarterback at Alabama is not enough. And But also, you have to surpass that. If you're on an even basis and you haven't done anything spectacular, they're most likely just going to give it to the quarterback of Alabama because that's what they see. That's what they know. Um, Bryce Young had a lot more hype than C.J. Stroud in recruiting and all of that. So that name has rung bells. But now, even if the stats aren't better, which they may not be because people have to remember, Stroud missed the game. I think if Stroud didn't miss that, and it was Akron, he would have put up 500 yards and five touchdowns. I think yeah. this award would already be his, but his stats are a little bit behind some of them because he missed the game. But now it's like, okay, stats are pretty much even. You take into account he missed the game, and he did it against good defenses. Because, well, Michigan State is not, but the Big Ten has a lot of highly ranked defenses. He did it against the number seven team. He's most likely going to do it against the number six team. He's going to do it against another top whatever team. And especially if he does it against Wisconsin, who has a really good defense, he's going to win the award. I, th- I think he won it today. Yeah, I think I think he's going to be the favorite coming into next week. Uh, if he has a game like this against Michigan next week, uh, all he has to do is beat Wisconsin on the final Saturday. Uh, or is that the first Saturday of December? Yeah, the first Saturday of December. Like, and they're good to go. Like he's yeah. he's in he's he's going to New York no matter what at this point. Like there's no one there's no way he's not invited. Uh but like, you know, he missed that game against Akron, but it comes back like Bryce Young's stats against Western Carolina or whoever they played last week shouldn't really count, if we're being honest, you know? Yeah. So like when you look at it from that comparison standpoint, I think it's good. And, you know, we're going to see Bryce Young. He's going to have a huge opportunity against Georgia, you know, to make a Heisman statement. But I, I don't know if it'll be enough because I don't think there's anything that could really replicate 32 of 35 for 400 yards and six touchdowns against the number seven team in the country. Yeah, like that is the definition of a Heisman moment. And whether you believe you need to have Heisman moments or not, that does take into account. And that is a Heisman moment at the biggest stage. Uh, and, you know, 
Bryce Young's playing right now, they're most likely going to win this game against number 21 Arkansas. But that game's not going to – that that win's no longer going to be ranked because Arkansas is going to have four losses. They're going to fall out. And it's this – not that there's, there can't be an explosion, but it's midway through the second quarter, it's 10-0. You know, so he's not going to have six touchdowns. He's not going to have 400 passing yards. Um, they're not really passing the ball great. And, again, an explosion can happen, but it's not going to be the type of explosion. Uh, there's six minutes left in the second quarter. As I'm saying this, it's ten nothing. Arkansas has the ball and they're running out a lot of clock. Uh, there's a very real chance, win or lose, that Bryce Young's numbers are like 200 yards, a touchdown or two. Um, that's not that's not going to do it. That's not going to keep a, a gap between. Um, if there Brown even and really Young. is a gap at this point, yeah. I think there's a little bit of a gap just because his stats look a little bit better because of the extra game and he's quarterback at Alabama. But I don't think there's going to be a gap after that. I think there's going to be a gap just the other way. I, I mean, this is Stroud's award. I'm convinced. Yeah, no, I'm with you for sure. Uh, I, I hate Stroud. And, you know, I, we talked about it and like maybe he's the fourth or seventh best. But when he plays like that, I think he's the most important player on the team because we saw what happened. Kyle McCord came in. In the second half, you know, the game was in hand. He looked a little flustered, and I don't know what happened when he threw that interception, but it looked like his brain kind of broke, and he just kind of flicked it out there, and then that was one of the worst plays I've ever seen. Yeah. It's like in Madden when you're supposed to lob it and you do a touch pass. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, he just pressed the wrong button. Um, He really shouldn't have thrown it, but at least you got to throw it over and let him try to get it. He tried to finesse it. He just, he, I think he just tried to get a little too cute. Um, yeah, it, but, you can't do that. No, but you did bring up a really good point because not that we've been mean to CJ or whatever, but a lot of people have said that he's yeah, not that. We've important. actually he's playing. We've actually been his biggest defenders. Yeah, like, and I think you, I think you made a really, really good point that we have to bring up when he plays like this. He's the most important player. He didn't go. He didn't go thirty-two for thirty-five because he has good wide receivers. He put the ball where it needed to be. He ran the offense to perfection. He like they started adding adding in more RPOs and stuff, giving him some more decisions on. He he knows when to pull it, when to pass it. I mean, they ESPN for one of the few things that they do well, they do typically they do do that behind the quarterback cut up every once in a while that I really like and they Kirk Herbstreet broke him down doing NFL things uh looking off the safety that kind of stuff um this was not you know they're great and we're gonna stop this love affair and talk about Alave to end the podcast but this was Stroud looking off safeties pump faking navigating the pocket putting the ball only where his wide receivers could catch it um It's nothing like in the beginning where uh, wide receivers, except for the Alave catch, where wide receivers are having to make spectacular catches and jump out the building. No, the ball was money. It was just right there. All they had to do was catch it and fall down or catch it and get some extra yards. And this, because of how Michigan State was playing, this also wasn't a game with a lot of run after catch. These yards were Stroud's yards. Like, it wasn't a five-yard pass that went 80 yards. Like, these yeah. this 400 yards was Stroud's 400 yards. A lot of it was money, and then the receiver pick up one or two extra and go down. So um, I think you made a really good point. I like that you highlighted that. Stroud played really, really well, and when he plays like this, he is the most important player on the field. It was, it was for sure like a – I don't know. If you're going to like put one – piece of tape up for like draft scouts to look at going into next year when they're making their list. This was his tape game where you're seeing everything he can do. Yeah. And it's just like, sure, they have a bad defense, but he made them worse. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. No, he made if you could worse. get ranked lower than 130th after that game, uh, they would. Yeah. So I, I think w- once again, we got to r- remind everyone, those are just first half stats pretty much. Yeah. Because I mean, he didn't really do much in the second half. They ran like, the ball. He could have thrown. They could have thrown for seven hundred yards today, easily, easily. Um, so Stroud is really good. Uh, all of you, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast. I hope you weren't those people. Uh, if you were, you probably didn't like me and Chris for a while. But I hope all of the 
people apologize. Hope you guys come back. Yeah. Yeah. I hope all of the Stroud needs to sit. We need to see Ewers, all these other kind of things. I hope all you you all apologize and realize that you were wrong and that he was an eighteen year old freshman who had never thrown a college pass before and needed some time. And that NFL players like Alave and Wilson and an NFL head coach and Ryan Day are not lying to us when they say that he does some really special things in practice. And they're not lying to us when they say that he does some things that even Justin Fields couldn't do with his arm talent. Uh, They didn't lie. They were right. It just took some time, as it does for almost everybody. So um, hopefully this allows you to uh, practice some patience um, because you need it with freshmen. Like, you just need it. Even Henderson, it took a game or two. Uh, so Stroud is really, really good. And I would not have imagined that CJ Stroud would be Ohio State's next Heisman Trophy winner. If he does win it, I definitely would have thought it would have been Alave Wilson or Justin Fields, Travion Henderson next year, the year after. Like I didn't have CJ Stroud win the Heisman on my bucket list, but it's looking like that's what's going to happen. We'll call it the Stroud Sneaky Heisman. Hey, I, I like that. So we're, we'll end the podcast as we spent a lot of buck off just talking about Alave. I mean, he still has at least two more games, right? Um, hopefully four. Uh, hopefully he catches, you know, the most important touchdown that leads us to the national championship. But I do think we just got to say a couple of things uh, because this is his last game in the shoe. And again, uh, what was it? Seven catches, 140 yards, and two touchdowns, and a half of work. That's how you end. And he and we didn't officially say it. He officially broke the record and is now Ohio State's all-time leader all time. in touchdown receptions today. Yeah, and now it's the chase for 40 touchdowns. Like that'd be unbelievable. Uh, I don't think. Uh, I don't think there's any words that I can say that could truly, like show like my appreciation for him as a wide receiver because like four years, you know, he didn't have to come back. Uh this this season, you know, you've got guys like Haskell Garrett, you got guys like Chris Olave who came back for this opportunity that they weren't able to take advantage of last year. You know, this has kind of been a little bit of a tumultuous season. Remember we had Chris Olave go catchless in a game. We kind of had people being like, oh, my God, is Chris Olave like out? Like, is this team good enough to win a national championship? And now they're turning the corner and he's leading from the front. Like he's leading by example. And a great conversation that happened in the game was Herb Street sat down with all three of them. It was a good video. Uh, But like he his biggest takeaway was they're super unselfish. And that starts with being the senior leader that Chris Olave is. That starts with his personality going downward throughout the room and showing everybody like, Hey, like we work hard here. We root for each other and all of us eat when we all work hard. And that's exactly what it feels like has happened this season. You know, not every game has been Chris Olave's game. Not every game has been Garrett Wilson's game. Not every game has been Jackson Smith and Jigba's, but as a collective, they're always great. Yeah. I mean, one, this is a Jackson Smith and Jigba thing, not a Olave thing, but one thing that shows the unselfishness is, Jackson Smith and Jigba is the 20s guy. He's in between the 20s. He has the most catches. He has the most yards and the least touchdowns. And it's the least touchdowns by a lot. Um, There are multiple games where he just doesn't score, even though he'll lead in receptions. And it's because I think he understands, like, when it gets to the red zone, this is their show. Not that he doesn't want the touchdown, and he celebrates those touchdowns just as much as anybody else. And I think Alave has, you know, sacrificed some numbers. Not really, because he's about to have a thousand yards, but he sacrificed some numbers uh, because, you know, we, we're talking about David Bell and Jahan Dotson and Drake London and all these wide receivers who already have a thousand yards and all these touchdowns. If Alave wanted to be selfish and if he wanted to tell the freshman quarterback, that I'm always your first read because I'm always open, he could have 1,400 yards right now to go with his 15 touchdowns. Like, he could do that. But he's like, no, like, spread the ball around. Throw it to me when I'm open. Give me my post once a game. Uh, But when it comes to the red zone, I'm the guy. And he is the guy, and that's why he's leading in touchdowns. And he had a significant lead in touchdown until Garrett Wilson decided to put up four. Um, Well, technically three passing touchdowns. But, 
yeah, they all have their uh, thing. And a lot of stuff in sports is corny, but I really did like the Earth, Wind, and Fire thing because that was that corny in that way. You just love it. Yeah, because it's like, like when you when you relate them to elements, when you relate them to the to a group. Uh, everyone's unselfish. Do uh, you talk about music groups? There's not a lead singer. Everyone's singing. Sometimes you're the lead singer. Sometimes you're the backup vocalist. Um, the you relate them to the elements, like you know Herb Street said, Jackson Smith and Jigba is the rock, and he is. I mean, we talked about it. That's why he's leading in receptions. That's why he's leading in yeah. yards. He's the rock. Um, Garrett Wilson is fire. He's the he's the electric player. He's the one that can take anything into a touchdown. Uh, we saw that with the, he's the one that you know has that that energy with the sweeps and stuff like that. And Alave's wind, like when he when he decides he wants to run, you're not catching him. When he decides yeah. he wants to do that deep ball, that post, whatever, uh, you're not catching him. And just a nerd thing about elements, wind is one of the most dangerous elements. You don't think about it, it but when it decides to turn up, it can cut through trees, walls, all that other kind of stuff. Water would have been a good one. For him as well. I mean, Earth, Wind, and Water is not the group, but like Water would have been a good one, just his calm demeanor. But like Water makes mountains uh, and stuff. So we don't have a fourth. Maybe Emeka and Buka's Water. Uh, just throw him in CJ there. CJ Stroud's just, Water. <laughs> yeah, CJ Stroud's Water. That, that's the one. That's it. Yeah, that's a great one, actually. But yeah, I really like the, the Earth, Wind, and Fire thing. I really liked that unselfishness. And like you said, that all starts from Stroud because Stroud's a senior and he could tell them, hey, this is my time. I'm going out on top. It's amazing the respect you can see in that room. And that's, I mean, it obviously starts with Ryan Day and Brian Hartline. uh, What's his name? Uh, I'm blanking on it. Uh, But, you know, you generally, all the coaches that help. Oh, Keenan Bailey, that's his name. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He's a, yeah. So uh, that group of people who do all the work every single day, they've created such a good culture in there. And people always ask, like, why do so many five-stars and four-star receivers want to be there? And it's because that is the room that's been created. That's the environment that's been created, and it's one of greatness and respect. Yeah, but also it's not a room of one dominant. Like, how can you – like, it, you can't view yeah, you don't have to Davis just as competition. Yeah, when, when Ohio State goes out and they say you should come here, we just had three wide receivers with a thousand yard seasons. Two of them had double digit touchdowns. They all of them are first round picks. You should come here. These other wide receivers, they're not your competition. You're going to play this position. Look at his body type. He's going to play this position. And our five star quarterback is going to get you the ball. It's not competition. And mm-hmm. you want to go and play with the best. And then they can tell him and they're like, listen. If he gets open and he gets open, then you're going to be open because they can't defend. They can't defend everyone, and so it's the perfect recruiting pitch. And I don't. I'd like this is an off-season conversation for sure. Um, but we have to talk about. We're going to have to talk about Brian Hartline again because the way he has eighteen-year-olds ready to sacrifice. I mean, you're Marvin Harrison. His dad is a Hall of Famer, really high recruit. He doesn't come in and complain about his snaps. Julian Fleming, number one wide receiver in the country, top five player at the, regardless of position. He doesn't get all his snaps. He's gonna, he's not. It's gonna be his third year here before he's a starter. He's not complaining. Emeka Egbuka comes here from Washington. Jaden Ballard. I mean, Cameron Babb. I don't remember what his recruiting was, but he's almost never touched the field. Senior year, he becomes a captain. Like. We're gonna have Big to culture room, about, man. We're gonna have to talk about what's going on in that room, and I just don't see the recruiting stop because it's not competition. It's not like running back where only two people can carry the ball. How many wide receivers have touchdowns? The three have touchdowns. I think Emeka Igbuka has one. Um, J- Julian Fleming just got one. I can't remember if Marvin if Marvin Harrison Jr. has one, but he has a, at least some catches and a couple of good plays. It's just like. Everyone's getting – everyone eats. Everyone eats. And, you know, it's unbelievable. And I think this uh, ode to the receiver room over Chris Olave is exactly how Chris Olave would have wanted this to go. Honestly. But at the end of the day, as we wrap this up, Chris Olave is the best wide receiver in Ohio State history. In Ohio State history. It is not close. Uh, I'm sad that he's he's going. But I believe it, it takes forever to get into the Hall of Fame. 
but he should be a college football Hall of Fame guy. He definitely, regardless, should have his number retired at Ohio State. And they don't build statues of players because if they did, JT would have one. Uh, but if they ever decide to build a statue, Alave needs a statue as well. Uh, yeah, for sure. I would donate. Not a lot, but I would donate. If they were like, hey, we, we're, we're funding for a Alave tattoo, I would donate. Um, he meant everything to this program, and he is one of the catalysts to this wide receiver room because they weren't recruiting like this four years ago. They were really building up to it. So all of these five-star recruits that we've had have been under Alave's tutelage, and now they know how to lead. Uh, yeah. If Jackson Smith and Jig was going to be the leader of the room, he's going to pass that down, uh, both as a player and as a leader and as a person. Uh, I mean, even at the end of the game, Alave wouldn't talk about himself. Yeah, he's right. just he's just a good dude. Like, uh, and like you know, we're taking all this time for Olave. I think it's another time to shout out all the seniors. Like, this ride's not done yet. Like, but it's it's been fun to watch this group for the last four years. Uh, a lot of them who came here are already out. So, like, you know, kind of saying goodbye to those last group of guys from that 2017 class, 2018 class, maybe. Yeah, whatever mm-hmm. one it was, 2017, I think it was. Uh, it's been a good ride, man. For sure. And I do want to end the show because we didn't talk about it. Shout out to Master Teague. That's another player I'm hard on. Not because he's not good. He's just not other running backs that we've had. Once we saw Travion Henderson. It was different. But shout out to him on senior day. 95 yards, I believe it was. He got a touchdown. And it could have been really easy for him as a senior to be like, I get that this freshman's good. But I'm a senior, and I'm going to transfer, and I'm going to cause an issue, and I'm going to be mad at my carries, and I'm going to go tweet, and all this other kind of stuff. The running back room could have been the linebacker room. Like, it really could have. Um, And Master Teague took everything with class, and in the last home game in the shoe, 95 yards, a touchdown. And as you mentioned before, the student section stayed. And what do you think that meant for him, for the entire student section, to be screaming Teague? Literally mad that they threw the ball from the one. Everyone wanted T to get that touchdown. So shout out to him too. The funniest part was they lined up and they ran a wedge to make sure he got in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, you're getting you're getting this touchdown. So yeah. I think I think that's it for us today. Uh great win by the Buckeyes. Great last home game for the seniors. Uh we will be back with some fire Michigan content. Um, next week's going to get crazy it may be a two hour podcast there's going to be a lot to talk about Uh, be on the lookout just for Land Grant Holy Land in general all of our content coming out if it's not a recap of this game it'll all be Michigan so all of your favorite articles it'll be about Michigan either about this game analyzing the game the history of the rivalry uh, stuff like that so um Definitely be on the lookout for Land Grant Holy Land. We will have all of the coverage. Um, I'm not sure if you all are a root for Michigan or not, but if you are a root for Michigan, maybe hopefully they win today. Uh, we get an 11-1 matchup, a type of matchup that we used to see in the 90s. Uh, but that's it for me. Any last words, Chris? If not, where can they find you? Uh, no last words for me. A great win for the Buckeyes this week. Uh, moving on to next week. Uh, it's going to be crazy. That's all I can say. Like, I, I think Herb Street said it. Brian Day's already on to Michigan even before they start celebrating. That's where I'm at. Uh, this podcast, I'm surprised it didn't turn into that. But you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB. You can listen to our other show we do together, Puck Off, at, and follow it at Puck Off Pod. And then uh, I write two articles a week, the film preview and film review, releasing Thursdays and Mondays, respectively. All right, and for me, you can follow me on Twitter at JordanW330. I will be talking a lot about this game in my Big Thoughts column that's going to come out tomorrow on Sunday. Uh, We'll be talking a lot about Ohio State Michigan on I-70, which comes out on Monday. Uh, But great one for the Buckeyes. Going to enjoy the rest of the day. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving to you all, uh, because it'll be Thanksgiving before you listen to our next show. And go Bucks. Yeah, man. Thanks, you guys.